everyone, I'm Tiffany, and you're listening to Talking Nonprofits, a podcast about the world of nonprofits. This podcast aims to amplify the voices and missions of nonprofits. We connect nonprofits to the community and bring awareness to the purpose, leadership strategies, and challenges these organizations encounter. Follow along so you too can learn how to make a difference in your community. I want to take a quick second to thank the sponsor of today's podcast, Letty Intimi Velasco of Coldwell Banker here in El Paso helped me sell my house three years ago. Letty made the process so easy. She sold my house quickly and was able to get exactly what I wanted for it. Letty made the selling process hassle-free. If you've been thinking about getting that bigger yard or downsizing now that the kids are gone, give my friend Letty a call at 915-820-8281. Letty Intimi Velasco of Coldwell Banker. Our guest is Patrick Nolan, the executive director of Friends of the Oregon Mountain Desert Peak. Patrick brings 13 years of organizing experience and six years with the American Federation of Teachers, New Mexico. With that organization, Patrick worked with school employees across the state of New Mexico as they advocated for strong public schools. Patrick's work with the American Federation of State and County and Municipal Employees took him to several Western states, Alaska, Utah, Colorado, and Washington. Public lands play a pivotal role in all of these states and their economies, much as they do in New Mexico. The extensive time working in these states opened Patrick's eyes to the benefit of protecting and advocating for public lands. He worked with folks tasked with protecting and maintaining public lands on the state, county, and city levels. The love that he had for public lands helped Patrick learn the value of public lands. He has been the executive director of the Friends of Oregon Mountain Desert Peak for the past three years. Welcome to the podcast, Patrick. Thank you, Tiffany. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to learn about Friends of Oregon Mountain. I've been wanting to have you on the show since I began the podcast. So thank I'm glad you. we could make this happen. Yes. So tell me the history behind the Friends of the Oregon Mountain Desert Peak. Yeah. Um, so the organization started in 2011, and this was around the time that the, my, the campaign to designate the National Monument was really starting to get going. Um, and so our role in that campaign was to really coalesce support in the grassroots level around protections, right? And creating this monument and protecting our public lands. Um, so that was really our initial goal for a long time, was ultimately designated. And then we sort of went on the defensive with change in politics, change in DC, the Trump administration looking at monuments and protecting our designation. Um, so dodged that bullet and now we're sort of we're, we're really trying to tap the potential that this place has for our community. So you, so with that, I know like in El Paso, they're trying to designate Kastner Range as uh, you know one of those public lands. So yes. how, how do you see the Oregon Mountains bringing like, you know, up in the economy for New Mexico? Do you see, how do you see that improving the economy for New Mexico? I mean, quite honestly, I think it puts Las Cruces on the map, right? Um, so I'm from Michigan, originally from Detroit. So, and even anybody I talk to when I say I'm in, New, I live in New Mexico, they say, oh, are you near Albuquerque or Santa Fe, right? That's what people think. So I think it really puts Las Cruces, New Mexico on the map as a place to go and visit. There's just a ton of things to do uh, recreationally. And I think we'll get into that a little bit uh, later on, but 
it's a draw, right? People want to come to this place. They want to see what this national monument is all about. And they want to experience it. And while they're here, they're grabbing a beer at a local brewery or a restaurant and getting a hotel or an Airbnb. Um, and they're really getting to know the community while they're here. What mountains or what hills make up the uh, Oregon Mountain Desert Peak? Our monument is somewhat unique in that it's um, four different areas, right? So we all know the Oregons. That's the most famous, most well-known place that sort of drapes the city of Las Cruces. Um, but it also includes the Doniana Mountains, uh, which is a great hiking spot. Lots of mountain bike trails there. And then it includes the Robledos and the Sierra de las Uvas mountain ranges, which are sort of together. And then the Potrillo Mountains, um, which are sort of that way that connects us to El Paso. What are some recreational opportunities available through the Oregon Mountains? Uh, well, I've mentioned mountain biking. And I think one thing to really talk about too is there's this thing called the Monumental Loop. And it's a over 200 mile trail. Uh, it's a mix of trails, roads, like city streets, right? But it connects all four parts of the National Monument, right? If you if you have the gumption to do so and the and the know-how, you could mountain bike the entire thing. Uh, people have done it in two or three days, but you also don't have to, right? Um, yeah. I'm more of a fan of the like short rides and, you know, have some fun and then get back and have a burger and a beer at the end of it. Um, but it connects all four parts. And this was created by community folks that were like, look, we need to find a way to connect all four monuments, all four parts of the monument, and let's find a way to do it. And it's, there's been different versions of it, right? Because there's complications around land and where you can go and all these things, but um, they settled on a great route, um, takes it up like through, like by the organs, it takes it to Kilbourne Hole, Aiden Crater, uh, through the Donianas, some really amazing places in the Sierra de las Uvas that are hard to get to and not many people see, but are just absolutely magnificent and stunning places to go. So it's a really great tool to connect folks to public lands. And, you know, or you can just throw your mountain bike and do the Sierra Vista or the Donianas and mess around. Those are a ton of fun. There's uh, over 100 miles of recreational trails. These are sort of easy in and out. Well, they're not all easy. Um, some of them are harder than others. <laughs> just great places to hike, see wildlife, that sort of really unique Chihuahuan desert plant life that you don't see anywhere else, right? Where it's just, it's, you know, you can go hiking in a lot of different places, right? But there's something I think really special about the Chihuahuan desert and just that it's, it's uniqueness, right? You don't find those, those plants anywhere else. Uh, those rock formations, uh, those trails, right? They're all really unique and special. And I think that's really um, something to celebrate for us. What about the oryx? Yes, there are uh, there are a lot of oryx. They are not supposed to be in the organs, uh, but that was an experiment in the '60s to bring get big game hunting to southern New Mexico. They're, so they're supposed to be in the White Sands area. That was their area, and these are native to Africa, um, super fast, super pretty. But they've expanded because they don't really have a predators here. Um, you know, there's some mountain lions here or there, but the oryx have really spread their wings, so to speak, uh, to the organs. Well, I have to tell you a story. When um, I've done the White Sands, the Baton Death March before, mm -hmm. and I've seen the oryx, you know, you know, running beside me. Yeah. Now, I've also seen some jackrabbits. I mean, like super big rabbits. Yes, you'll find some big jackrabbits for sure in the desert. I think those rabbits must have eaten something like, I don't know, some, 
some scientific something because they're so humongous. Do you have people that hunt those rabbits or are they just? Uh, no, those, uh, depending on the season, um, certainly rabbits are something you can hunt. Folks do hunt oryx. I don't know if they hunt them in the organs very much. It's not a mm -hmm. super popular hunting area. You can hunt for doves. That's certainly a big one. But yeah, you can do all sorts of hunting. Uh, White-tailed deer, like the organs themselves, um, yes, you can hunt them. It's more of the hunting that takes place in the Botrios and the Sierra de las Uvas. Uh, that's more of the heavier hunting areas. What's a cool trail that you, we, we, just, we talked a little bit before the podcast a few days ago about me going on, a, you know, like a hike, you know, because I've never hiked the Oregon mountains. I'm there and I'm, you know, I, I do hike. What trail would you recommend a new slash beginner slash old slash, you know, new beginner type person to, to hike? What trail would you sure. recommend? Um, you know, my go-to is always Soledad Canyon. It's the first place that I hiked when I moved here. When I moved here, this was when the Lord of the Rings movies were really popular. So mm -hmm. um, 13 years ago or so. And it sort of reminded me of that landscape that is in Lord of the Rings. It's just parking's great. It's easy to find. It's relatively flat. And when you get to the edge, hopefully in the rainy seasons, there's some waterfall at the edge. Um, Soledad Canyon is, I think, a great sort of intro hike. Uh, to the monument. And then also while you're there, you'll sort of see, you know, Doniana County in the early 1900s, 95% of this was native Chihuahuan desert uh, grassland. Most of that is gone. Uh, it's down to 10, 5, 10% of the land now is, is that grassland. And Soledad Canyon is one of those places where you can sort of get a glimpse of what Doniana looked like before the houses and the cattle and all those other things that sort of disrupt land. I noticed on your website that you guys have a call for artists and, and residents. Could you tell us more about that? You know, for obvious reasons, COVID pandemic. So um, that got put on pause. We're excited to do it again. So what artists do, so they go and they live at Dripping Springs. So Dripping Springs is also a great place to go and hike for an intro. This was an old ranch house. It was a sanatorium at one point or another. So that uh, um, a doctor bought the land uh, to help his wife who was suffering from tuberculosis. So he built this very um, resort type area. So the artists live there, there's housing up there. So currently right now there's volunteers that sort of help protect and man that area for visitors. And so they live up there for a, uh, a month and they create art, right? They're inspired by what they see. And you know they go to other parts of the monument and it's different mediums. We've had painters, we've had photographers, we get all sorts of applications, but painters and photographers, I think, are the main ones that we've had. And so we just opened that back up again for this coming September uh, for folks to sort of get inspired by the public lands and the things that they see out there. And my favorite part of that whole program is they have to do a community project. So the last artist in residence we had, Griselda, she taught some middle school students how to do painting, um, like seeing nature and how to interpret that and how to paint that. Um, other folks have done cleanups. Um, other folks have just done painting instruction. So it's really up to the artists. However, they want to engage and talk to the community around art and nature. Um, they sort of do that. And I think it's a really cool, it's a really cool aspect of that program. What's the goal of the public lands teaching curriculum? The uniqueness of our land, the uniqueness of our plants, the uniqueness of our wildlife they present a ton of teaching opportunities, right? And so this is really to inform teachers 
honestly anybody who's leading hikes, right? When we do our programming with area youth, we use that curriculum and the activities in there and the lessons in there to help inform folks while they're out there. Like, this is why we protect habitat. This is why it's important to protect that food chain. This is why it's important to make sure that we're the water is streaming where it needs to, to be, right? Why these plants are here to feed this animal, really sort of connecting those dots. And that's what the public lands curriculum helps do. We know that climate change is, I believe climate change is real. Um, some people don't, but I believe climate change <laughs> is real. So but how, how are the Friends of Oregon Mountain Desert Peak urging leaders to address the climate change, especially like a few weeks ago, we had a, a lot of rain. So how's your organization addressing that climate change? The really interesting thing about climate change, and yes, we are believers in really recognizing that we need to address this real quickly, right? Um, and, you know, I remember growing up when we talked about climate change, we, we talked about polar bears and melting ice caps, right? All really important and pivotal things. But when you're living in the Chihuahuan desert, right, it's sort of hard to sort of figure out what that means. So when we talk about climate change, we really bring it home, right? We talk about the vegetation that used to be there 50 years ago that isn't there because the topsoil has blown away because we haven't had enough rain. Uh, we talk about plants that just used to be there, but because of the climate changing so rapidly, those plants aren't there anymore, right? And so we bring that, that issue home to our own backyard, right? How is climate change impacting the Chihuahuan Desert? And we're sort of, we're at the forefront, right? Like we're it's the desert, right? It's hot, but we're experiencing these hot temperatures, perhaps more in a more extreme degree than others, right? Mm -hmm. um, we have always dealt with water issues, and these water issues will only continue to be more pressing and more urgent for us to address. And, you know, the role of protected public lands, right, where you're not mining them, you're not foresting, you're not um, getting them for timber, right? You're not pulling water from them. Like the role that those lands will play in helping address climate change as a country, as a world, I think is really important. Um, there's a new initiative used to be called 30 by 30, which was to protect 30% of land and water uh, by, 2000, by 2030. Um, now it's called America the Beautiful. Um, and it's really, it's an attempt to really identify areas that carry biodiversity that'll help our earth be sustainable and longevity like protecting land is important. It's a critical tool that we have. And we're, you know, we're not, we haven't figured out how to make more land, right? Uh, what we have is what, what we have. It is never a bad idea to protect land um, ever. Um, I will always support any attempts to protect land. Castner Range, right? Great example, like 7,000 acres. Let's protect that. Let's make sure that that place doesn't get developed and doesn't continue to be the bombing range that it has been historically, right? Let's protect all land that we can possibly protect. We need to figure out solutions now. And, you know, there's a lot of solutions, right? Electric cars, moving away from oil and gas, reliance. Uh, and I think public lands, protecting them has a really key role in that. Yeah. I want to talk about your leadership, um, leadership style now. So I noted it said in your bio that you were... You went from like a history teacher or, you know, studying history to becoming an executive director of a, the Oregon Mountains Desert Peak. Tell us. Uh, well, good, good fortune is really um, 
So yes, I was a history major and then I did labor organizing for a long time right out of college. Um, and then an opportunity to serve as executive director of uh, Friends came up. And there's a lot of things that drew me to it, right? Certainly one was running an organization whose mission I firmly believed in, right? Protecting public lands, connecting our community to public lands. But also, I, I think it's also about rewriting what that means to engage with community. You know, one thing I learned is, right, you need to put the people that are most impacted by the issues that we are facing at the forefront of the solution, right? So making sure that we are engaging with every single person in our community around public lands, the environment, conservation, and putting them at the forefront of that. And that's really what we're trying to do at Friends of Oregon Mountains. Build leaders that can write op-eds, that can talk to county commissioners, can go to Santa Fe to advocate for certain legislation or go up to DC uh, to advocate for legislation, right? Really putting that face to those issues that we're facing as a community, um, as a state, as a country, as, a, as everybody, right? We're all sort of facing these issues. Putting people in places to succeed, I think is important. And so I was, I was excited to lead an organization that had the ability to do that. Okay, since, since you've become the executive director, what challenges have you had to overcome? Um, anxiety that you're doing everything wrong. Um, I didn't come in with fundraising experience. Um, so really having to figure out be comfortable with asking people for money, right? Money matters, funding matters. Um, we can talk all we want about what we wanna do and, and our priorities, but if we don't have the funding to sort of support that work, uh, none of that matters, right? So it's, it's a crash course of learning how to raise money, ask for grants. And you know, also I think it's building staff, right? So we've added two additional staff members to the Friends here in the past couple months. At the time, it's like, okay, we're going to come out of this pandemic, right? Now here we are, sort of not really coming out of this pandemic. Yeah. Um, really not entirely sure where we are in the pandemic uh, stage of things. But really just use, like giving folks from the community a chance to do good work in their community is important. And, and I think we should, like giving people chances to like stretch themselves and to build their confidence and to really honestly just do good work just talk to community members figure out what they want around public lands what they want to do with outdoor recreation and sort of making those connections I think is important what has been your guiding star since becoming the executive director from the get-go um I, there was a lot I didn't know um but one thing I did know is that we needed to put community first and really authentically and really engage with community um, and make sure that all voices are at that table um, when we're talking about the issues that are impacting our community. Um, that's, I mean, that's the guiding star, right? Putting people in places to make a difference. You know, the rest is like complicated and you figure it out on a case by case basis, right? But as long as you're putting people in places to succeed, um, as long as you're really authentically engaging with those communities that you represent and that you want to work with on like a real sort of authentic level, that's really it, right? Just go to people with authenticity and be yourself and try and figure out um, how to work together. Partnerships are challenging, right? Partnerships are hard, but I think it's certainly a driving principle of what we do, like strong partners to really lift uh, each other up and help support the work that we're all trying to do. So partnership and community engagement, I would say those are the two guiding principles for sure. How can how can our listeners help you out? How can they how can the community help? They can always give money. Uh, that's always <laughs> valuable. 
uh, they can become a member of the friends. You know, the other thing too, right, is like looking for experts in the field. So we, when we do, when we go out on hikes, we try to get biologists or geologists out to inform and talk really in ways about what we're seeing. You know, we can go out there and not really recognize and know. And, you know, I've picked up a thing here or there, but I am not a geologist. I'm not a biologist, right? So like joining us on a hike, like if you're an expert in a certain field that has to do with something you were seeing on a hike, we'd love to have you lead a hike and talk to the community and talk to youth about um, these things with youth, right? It puts somebody from their community that is doing this, that has found this specialty, whatever it is, right? Archaeology, geology, um, biology. Uh, they can see, oh, look at this person that's doing this cool work and they're out here teaching us. It creates these sort of examples and these role models for community members, you know, specifically for youth, right? Doniana County suffers, right? 35% poverty rate. So really presenting them with those opportunities and then presenting them with how you can make a living spending time outdoors. People always ask me if I hike all the time. Um, I do hike probably more than a normal job, but I don't hike all the time. But, you know, a chance like... You want a career in the outdoors, right? There's lots of opportunities. So let's put kids in front of folks that are doing those careers in the outdoors. Yeah, I like that. So this is our final question. At Talking Nonprofits, our mission is to connect nonprofits to the community. In your own words, what's community to you? Community is people, right? Community is connections. Community is relationships. Um, you know, honestly, it's relationships. Um, that is community, right? It's knowing like, who's that community member that knows about that thing or knows that person or knows how to connect us to that person? Community is at the heart of everything that we try to do as an organization um, is serving this community that we love uh, that struggles at times. But I think this community is strong and resilient um, and really putting our community at the center of everything that we do. Thank you, Patrick, for being on the podcast. Thank you for enlightening our audience about the Oregon Mountain Peaks. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Absolutely, Tiffany. I, I love the medium of podcasts. So this is great to be on. I've always wanted to start my own podcast, but I've never had the time to do so. Um, this is a great medium though, right? Just tons of people listen. Uh, great way to get messaging out there. Kudos to you that you're doing this. Join me each week to learn about a nonprofit's passion and mission by subscribing or following Talking Nonprofits wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, be the difference.